0: Everyone. Good morning, everyone. Good Good it is morning. It is morning. Um, <laughs> on this side of the world. On this side of the world. <laughs> I feel like saying, he's alive, he's alive. I know. <laughs> you know, it, when, the, um, when we get together and we decide who's going to speak which Sunday, I guess a couple of months ago, I, I agreed to speak today on April the 12th. April the 12th. <laughs> Thank you, darling. And uh, I didn't, I'd forgotten about income taxes were due this week, <laughs> or that my birthday was yeah. last week, <laughs> or that we have a Crosswave staff meeting tomorrow night, or That's I was going to go to China for a week before the message. And um, and so, an
1: easy week for you then, it's kind of a, an oddball <laughs> week,
0: you know. Um, <laughs> I'm so, I'm so thankful uh, for my wife who's taking such good care of me to get me up this morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and if things are still a little bit foggy up here. Um, please forgive me, but um, we serve a big God. Mm-hmm. It's good to be home after being away. We the crossway was at Myrtle Beach a couple of Sundays ago, and then the last Sunday Easter we were at the beach with a family gathering and then Monday morning to go to Shanghai um, with work so a few comments about Shanghai if you've never been it seems brand new it's a very old city Not actually it's not as old as many other cities in China but it seems brand new because they, they're they bulldozing all of the old buildings and they're building new buildings in their place mm-hmm. and expanding the rice fields or are turning into 50 story skyscrapers Um, buildings and highways kind of spring out of the ground there's one called the Shanghai Tower it's over 2,000 feet high it's over 4 tenths of a mile high 128 floors 4 million square feet of space inside this one building and there's they're, they're finishing another one that's even taller than that as we talk about it um All of the apartment buildings are being built, not because the population is growing in China, but because the population is moving from the interior of China to the eastern seaboard where all the jobs are. So literally, you could be riding for an hour on an elevated bridge, never touch the ground, and see apartment complexes of 15 to 25, 50-story apartments. Bam, bam, just... Everywhere. Um, About 24 million people live in Shanghai that they know about, and they're thinking maybe another 6 million that they don't know about. So it's about the size of three North Carolinas all crammed into one city. Um, In fact, the statistic that's really kind of amazing to think about, in the past four years, China has used more cement in construction than the United States used in all of the 1900s. The, eti- the entire century. China's used more concrete in four years than America used in 100, during the biggest growth period America's ever experienced. Uh, in Shanghai, they award 7,500 licenses each uh, month for new for car tags, car license plates. And the bidding starts at ten thousand dollars to get one. <laughs> so every and that's all that's all there is is seventy five hundred and 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 the limit is ten thousand dollars. So it's kind of like an auction. You have to be there within a hundred milliseconds of the of the start window. You place your online bid, and if you get one, then you consider yourself lucky. So there's seventy five hundred new cars appearing on the roads every month in Shanghai. Um, wages are increasing, at least the factory wages are about 10% annually. So China is losing the, um, the once almost impossible to imagine economic benefit for manufacturers because their wages are increasing so rapidly. And they've changed the one-child policy because they've realized that a nation cannot exist with only one child per family because as the population ages there's no young people to take care of the elderly and there's not enough uh, of the young people working to take care of the other. So it's they've, they've changed the policy a little bit and now they'll say if you were a one-child family and your spouse was from a one-child family that you can have two children So they've adjusted but now the new generation is saying well we happy we're, we don't want two children we're happy with one child and so there's a little bit of turmoil in the in the government because of that. It's interesting for me to, to go there and to see that um, <coughs> the need for the gospel to transform lives is more evident now than ever before. Because the wealth of China is just growing so rapidly. And there's so many rich people. Materialism. The materialism is just expounding. And um, you go there and you realize that God's given me the answer that these people need. <laughs> what, what can I do? Every place you go, if you know the gospel, you know the answer that will transform that nation. Every place you go, you have the keys of eternal life. And it, it was just really evident to me to see that one more time. Um, last week was Resurrection Day. And so it's been about eight days, counting the biblical way of counting. And so there's this one passage of scripture in John 20 I wanted to read, just and highlight the eight days. John 20, the message isn't from this, but this is just kind of a lead-in to the message. John 20, 24, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. So this is eight days later. And Thomas was with them. We fall into that camp. We've not seen the nail prints or the pierced side, but we believe. But then there's this next section of John, starting in verse 30. The purpose of this book is the category headline. In other words, this is the result intended, the goal of this message. Now, Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by by believing you may have life in his name. These things are written that you might have life in his name. These things were written so that you might have life in his name. By God's great grace, the purpose of the Bible is to reveal Christ to us. To reveal Christ to us in such a way that we will see and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by leaving we may have life in his name. I mean, that's the point, right? Is to have life in the full in Jesus. Isn't that the point? Isn't that the point of each one of our lives? Is to have life in Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, that's why we live. That's why we are so hopeful is to have life in Christ. That's the point. Paul knew that that was the point. And here he was in a Roman prison, not knowing from day to day what his future was going to be. And he was writing a letter to his dear saints in Philippi because he had found life in Jesus' name. And he wanted the people in Philippi to have life in Jesus' name. Now, who were these people? Well, we know the first three. The first woman saved in Lydia, I mean in in Philippi, was named Lydia. She was a businesswoman, a God-worshipping businesswoman who sold fine purple cloth. The second person saved in Philippi was a slave girl possessed by demons who Paul delivered. And the third person saved in Philippi was who? The jailer. Mm-hmm. Who who had watched them beat Paul and Silas with rods and thrown him into jail. And then when the earthquake came when Paul and Silas were singing praises to God, he drew a sword to kill himself. Because he was certain that the prisoners had escaped. And that was the punishment for the jailer if the prisoners escaped was the prisoner. I mean the jailer was put to death. And Paul called out to the jailer and says, don't kill yourself, we're still here. And the next words out of the jailer's mouth was, how can I be saved? Not only from myself, from my own sword, but how can I be saved from God's sword? The jailer did not commit suicide, but committed his life to Christ. And then the rest of the jailer's family came to Christ. In this letter we're going to look at in Philippians Paul calls the church to attain unity in the Lord for the sake of the advancement of the gospel so that other people may have life in his name. He calls us to develop good relationships with each other so that, for the sake of the advancement of the gospel so that other people may have life in his name. And he calls us to rejoice in the peace of God for the sake of the advancement of the gospel so that other people may have life in Jesus' name. He speaks to the church as a whole, but occasionally he names specific people as examples of what to do, in the case of Timothy or Epaphroditus, or in the case of what not to do, as we'll see today. Believing that this is God's word to us, as we do, these are very pointed examples of people that he gives. And in a letter where there are so many powerful singular statements of truth, If you think about Philippians, everybody has a favorite verse from Philippians. Whether it be, he who began a good work in you will continue it to the day of Jesus Christ. Or, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Or, if there's any encouragement in Christ, then be like such and such. Or, Jesus Christ who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Or, God has highly exalted him above all things. Or, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Or rejoice in the Lord, or I count it a loss for all. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ all things, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and share in His sufferings. Or to press on toward the goal of the upper call. Or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He, the Philippians is filled with these verses, these singular, powerful statements that we, when we find them, we highlight them and we memorize them and we record them. But in some ways, it's these connecting verses. It's this other tissue in the f- flesh of the Scripture that prov- that provides for us uh, the backstory that holds all these promises together, and calls and applies them into real life, solidifies this powerful revelation of God's mind and His will to us not only as believers, as individuals, but as believers, as a body. Sometimes it's these lesser recognized, less familiar scriptures that really bring it all together. And I hope that's what we see today is is how these powerful statements, yes, they are powerful and they're clear, they're bullet points if you're familiar with PowerPoint, but the Bible is not a PowerPoint presentation. The Bible has all of the messy gap stuff fillers in the middle to make sense of it all and it's God's word to us and it was written that we might have life in Jesus name so we can't we can't skip over it we can't leave it out we have to rejoice in what God has revealed to us Since uh, Philippians 4:1 begins with the word therefore, we always know we need to kind of look back a little bit and see why the therefore is there. So I'll look back to verse 13 and 14. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then if you'll skip to verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In much of this letter, Paul has spoken about the body of flesh, the call to yield it to the purposes of God, and to stop abusing it. He talks about mutilating the flesh. Stop abusing it for the purposes of man. And here he reminds us that we have citizenship in heaven. That heaven is our true home. And that we are waiting with patient endurance for Jesus to come and change our lowly body into a glorious one. This glorious body is going to outfit us to match the unimaginable wonder of heaven. It's going to be perfectly suited for life in heaven. The life that we will enjoy there. You see... Jesus Christ is not only the savior of your soul. He is the savior of your body. (coughs) Why does Jesus save the body? Amen, sister. (laughs) Amen. Exactly the point. Why does Jesus save our bodies? Because Jesus has an eternal destiny for your body to serve his glorious purpose. In the plan of God, you and your body will be an instrument through which God will manifest his glory, not only forever, but also for now. You and your body will be an instrument for God through which God will manifest his glory. So we have a responsibility for God for how we use our bodies now, right? We have a responsibility God for how we live and conduct our lives through our bodies now whereas some false teachers were telling the Philippians that it didn't matter how they lived that it doesn't matter what they did with their bodies or that they be circumcised in the flesh or whatever the case may be Paul says that what matters is God's purpose for the body is found in the redemption provided by the Savior okay verse 1 chapter 4 Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. What do you notice about that first verse? What stands out to you? Words of affection. Doesn't this sound a bit over the top to you? I mean, would you speak to someone like this? My brothers whom I love, long for, my joy, my crown, my beloved. Again, all the commentators say this is a very awkward structure of how this is boom, 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 boom. And then um, my beloved at the end. He's really communicating, um, hey, we're children of the same spiritual parent. We are all children of the same spiritual parent. No matter what nationality we think we are. We're all children of the same spiritual parent. He says, you are precious to me. You are important to me. We are in relationship together. I love you. I care for you now and desire fellowship with you forever. You are the evidence that all is well between me and the Lord. You are the wreath of victory upon my head, he's saying. And so because of that, I say to you, stand firm thus. Stand firm. The word thus really connects with the word therefore and says, Stand firm for everything I've said in chapters 1 through 3. Stand firm thus. Stand firm. Stand your ground. Be constant in pursuing Christ's likeness. To persevere and remain steadfast. Don't flee your post when under attack refuse to abandon what you believe instead resist and and the pressure of those who disagree with you or want to persecute you like the people Paul had just mentioned as being enemies of the cross of Christ because we are always tempted to follow the wrong example those who falsely believe that it doesn't really matter what one does <coughs> with their body or thinks with their mind this this word to us to trust in the Lord and his promises is always timely for the church and i can think of no Greater time than now to trust in God. Paul loves us and wants us to know and receive all the blessings of God that he has just described. You know, <clears throat> I had a friend who told me that his, his his dad was not a believer, and he would try to share with him uh, the, the life in Christ and and the and the promises of God, and and the father would say to the son, he says, "Well, it's just too good to be true." How can I believe that? It's just too good to be true. And so the son would say to his father, he says, it sounds like it's too good to be true, but it is true. And if we really step back, you know, when you're 16 on the hours on the plane, you've got time to sit back and think about things a little bit. Um, I mean, you're not going anywhere <laughs> by your feet, but you're going 600 miles an hour, you know, through the air. It's It is so beyond imagination what God has promised us. And then you realize that God had to reveal that to you. Otherwise, you'd be oblivious to it. You see millions of people who are oblivious to the promises of God. And so what Paul is saying through this, he says, stand firm in your belief. He wants us to receive all these blessings because Why, really, why else would you need to stand firm unless there was something to receive from it, right? If there was no reason to stand firm, there was no benefit to come, then why would you bother trying to resist unbelief? Why wouldn't you just flow along with it? So there's a reason for it. Paul had just called out people who were enemies of the cross of Christ who lived solely to please themselves and not the Savior, He knows that it would be tempting to follow their example. Paul countered this falsehood by reminding them of the truth of their glorious future. So Paul calls the saints to stand firm in the power and person of Jesus Christ who has now become their life. Now, did Christ ever waver? No. Did Christ ever compromise? No. Did Christ ever sin? No. He was without sin, says the Bible. He was a perfect high priest. He is the model and he stood firm against all unbelief and never violated God. Was he persecuted? Yes. Did he fall? No. Did he compromise? No. Was he tempted? Yes. Did he sin? No. Put through all kinds of trials, he never crumbled, collapsed, or lost his confidence in God. Never did Jesus wander around through life looking for A human fix to society's problems. Never. Did Christ stand firm? Yes. He stood firm. And since he is the prize and goal of our lives, and since we are citizens of his kingdom, and someday we will be made like him, our present desire is that we must do as he did, to stand firm. Stand firm. Now tell me, church. How does the current attack on marriage between a man and a woman impact your faith? How about the attack on unborn humans so prevalent in our society and nations around the world? How about the attack on whether God created the heavens and the earth or not? Is that Attack your faith? How about the murder of Christians around the world? The ridicule of believers who trust in an unseen God? Can you stand firm against the attack? Stand firm, he says not only to resist sin, but to experience in your daily life the purpose for which God gave you a body. God gave you a body that you might stand firm in it. Your body must not become a vehicle through which lust and sin enter the world. Your bodies must not be vehicles through which lust and sin enter the world. But it must be a vehicle through which righteousness and holiness is revealed to the world. By which God is glorified in the believer's life. Let me say this again. Your body must be a vehicle through which righteousness and holiness is revealed to the world. What a purpose. What a glorious calling. Sin should be, we should hate the thought of thin, sin in our lives rather than crave it. Now early on in your Christian life, maybe you still crave sin. Maybe. There needs to come a point in your life where suddenly you see sin for what it is and you want to resist it. And you want other people to receive the blessing of living the life of Christ by receiving him. This is the theme That Paul has emphasized over and over again. Let us not forget that standing firm. Is really in the context of spiritual warfare. Because you're always in a battle. To stand or to stand fast in the Lord. Is neither to wander out of him. Or waver in connection to him. But to remain ever in steadfast fellowship with him. Because if 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 you don't stand firm the spiritual battle is going to overwhelm you. If if you're members of your body that don't conform to the holiness and righteousness of God, you're going to lose the battle. That's what Paul is talking about here. Stand firm. He says, I love you. I want you to receive these blessings. Stand firm in what you believe. And when you, society throws at you all of these things, unbelief, falsehood, pride, lust, sins of every type, stand firm in what you know. you know. We sang it in the songs and in Jessica's prayer this morning. We can see the evidence, but you've got to have eyes of faith to realize that that's God's evidence. That's not evidence of, of chance. Earlier in 314, Paul had said, I press on toward the goal for the prize, which which is this interesting play play on words. How do we stand firm? We can only stand firm in the Lord by pressing on to pursue the prize of the upward call. So this press on, standing firm, sounds like a paradox at first, but really to stand firm means to press on in the Lord, to become more like Christ. A Christian who is not moving forward. Toward Jesus is actually following backwards, whether he realizes it or not. We press on and stand firm by believing God's promises by faith. A faith that is precious. And why is faith so precious? Because faith unites us to Christ. And nothing else will. Nothing else will tie us and bind us to Christ except faith. It's precious. Worth more than gold. If you have the precious gift of faith, then thank God for it. That you are united to Christ. I lost track of it was. <clears throat> to stand firm in the Lord is not just a word for the individual believer, but also for any local body of believers. To do this, it's people, especially those in leadership, must learn to set personal agendas under and and within the larger agenda of the gospel, which is what it means to have the same mindset in the Lord. It calls for sacrificial giving of oneself for the sake of others. But isn't that what the gospel is all about? Giving of ourselves for others. Verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now it's clear that Paul loved the Philippian church, but he knew it wasn't perfect. He knew this church wasn't perfect, but he loved them. Up until now, the attack on faith that Paul's been describing through the first three chapters has been an external attack, attack from the outside. But with this verse, Paul flips the thought to warn them about an attack from the inside. Think about it news of this disagreement between these two women had reached a man in a Roman prison. Before cell phones and Instagram posts, even fax machines or phone calls, news of their disagreement in Philippi had reached a man in a Roman prison. How did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) Paul Paul has mentioned Timothy and Epaphroditus so far. And Timothy, he gave special commendations. Epaphroditus, the same thing. He says he is returning Epaphroditus to them and thanking him for his service and that he'd almost died serving, providing what the Philippians couldn't provide themselves because they had sent Epaphroditus. And now he mentions two more people. Some people think that verse 2 is one of the primary purposes of this letter. Because if you think about it, verses, chapters 1 through 3 are setting the stage for having the same mind, the, the value of humility, the value of serving one another, the value of working together in a partnership for the advance of the gospel. All of chapters 1 through 3 are all about working together and submitting to one another and yielding to one another and loving one another and then... <laughs> I entreat you, and I entreat you to be of one mind in the Lord. It's almost like all the rest of it's a setup for this point. Now, who has ever memorized verse 2 of chapter 4? No one. Nobody memorizes this one, unless they're memorizing the entire chapter or the entire letter. But in the midst of so many powerful, helpful, memorable confidence-inspiring and Christ-exalting verses comes this urgent request. I entreat you, and I entreat you to agree in the Lord. He spoke to each woman directly. The NIV translation adds, with each other, but that's not in the Greek. It just says, agree in the Lord. Paul doesn't desire a union of minds apart from Christ. The fact that you might agree on something else, apart outside of Christ, he's not talking about that. He's talking about in the Lord. He says this in, uh, in chapter 2, verse 2, be of the same mind in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Paul exhorts them, and he's exhorting us, to make Jesus the great center of their affections and plans. And because of their regard for Jesus, to bury any differences and animosities between them. I think he says that to us. He says that to every church. But he says that to us as well. To make Jesus Christ the center of our affection. Isn't that? Is that scary? Or does that sound like life to you? Yeah. Sounds like life to me. In today's world, where we, no doubt, encouraged by the media's drive to sell more product, always seek to blame someone else for discord and issues. Think about it. It, Whenever anything goes wrong, the first question is, who's responsible for this? Who can I ascribe blame to for this problem? Everybody wants to blame somebody. We always want to point out the name. It wasn't that way in Paul's day. It was rare that somebody would speak somebody's name in a negative light like this. So in Paul's day, it was quite unusual to publicly correct somebody by name. The fact that he would name these two women at all is a sign of his sincere friendship with them and of their special importance to the well-being of the church and of the advance of the gospel. What what he's doing by by naming them is he's recognizing that these women have been very powerful workers for the gospel and the cause of Christ and it was very important for them to model the life of Christ for others because of their their there's I hate to call it status but their the impact of their work you can think of any organization but especially a church where there's people of influence and there's it's evident to everybody that they are in a disagreement that's not good. Um, Syntike, clearly a Greek name. Generally, it's named after the goddess of fortune. Basically, it means success or successful. And um, Euodia, I'm told, um, means lucky. So both of their parents had wanted these, these these women to make good in the world. But Paul takes no sides between them and he doesn't give them a direct solution, does he? He doesn't say for one to give in to the other, or for them both to repent, or he doesn't he doesn't spell out exactly what the solution might be. He just says, Be of one mind. I entreat you. We don't use that word very often, but we we're familiar with the word entreat. Um, to bury he says for the sake of the gospel that they bury their disagreement and agree in the Lord meaning they should yield their own agendas for the Lord's plan and how to partner for the advance of the gospel and see Jesus as their unity and peace as the blessings of God are only available through Christ you can't go around Christ to get to the blessings of God it's Mm -hmm. impossible there's nothing there it's only through Christ. And so he's saying, be of one mind in the Lord. Paul says that they shared in the struggle in the cause of the gospel. That, Paul says this, probably indicates that these are mature, hardworking believers. And he kind of recognizes that fact. He doesn't want it to come across as, as a condemnation. He says, hey, you're, you're very valuable to the kingdom. He doesn't, he doesn't cause, cast doubt on their salvation. He says, you know, you are important in what God's doing in Philippi. So it's a very important then that you be reconciled. And then he singles out a true companion or a loyal yoke fellow. Both of these translations indicate the closest kind of relationship. And, and many have speculated that, well, maybe this is the husband of one of the, wi- the women. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was Paul's co-laborer, Luke or Timothy or Silas or Barnabas or maybe even Epaphroditus. Or maybe it's some other Greek name with some other unnamed person, it's not really clear. But what is clear was that um, this true companion. You help these women reconcile the differences. It's important. Now, Paul spoke with apostolic authority. It's important to get this result. That's what he was saying. Maybe the church leadership was a little lacking and the church leadership needed a bit more confidence and direction to get this thing settled. Maybe they were just waiting for the word from the apostle to come so they could act with confidence. But it's imperative to Paul that this disagreement be settled for it goes beyond the two people who are involved. It is affecting the life and the testimony of the entire church before the world. Then he mentions Clement and the other unnamed saints who have labored with him and worked together for the sake of the gospel. And he reassures them that they too, their names are written in the book of life. That is, their citizenship is in heaven. Paul frequently brings us back to that point that that's where our citizenship is. And so we need to act as citizens of heaven, even in the affairs of earth. We are destined for glory. So let's live a way that shows that that's evident. You know, the fact that this verse, verse 2, is even in Scripture, that this admonition is even in Scripture, should teach us that we can never think that disunity and squabbles within the family of God are only small issues that have minimal spiritual significance. Fights lead to severing of relationships, which then easily breed disillusionment. In a church, Where we are members of one body, as parts of one body, the pain caused by dividing and separating can spur on mistrust and cynicism, which are both forms of emotional baggage that if soon not dealt with, will prevent the display of love and vulnerability that's essential to true gospel fellowship. It's a long sentence, okay? I understand that. Long (laughs) sentence. Divisiveness spurs on mistrust and cynicism which prevents us displaying the glory of God in our relationship what's the old song we are one in the spirit we are one in the Lord and I know we are Christians by our love yeah the fact is negative consequences of division always weaken weaken the church's mission to be a city on a hill that displays the glory of God to a lost and dying world what What do you think the message of reconciliation sounds like to an unbeliever when it is proclaimed by people who cannot get along with each other Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. and they've got enough of that mm-hmm. they may look but they'll shrug their shoulders and turn away never witnessing even the faintest view of a living church in the midst of a dying culture, never seeing that Jesus, what Jesus says is the final evidence of the gospel, a clear oneness among true Christians who are truly brothers and sisters in Christ. No wonder the Bible emphasizes church unity and warns so strongly against church divisiveness. When a church's unity is threatened, nothing less than the glory of God the spiritual health of believers and the advance of the gospel are at stake. God's words call us to live genuine Christian lives in the face of every form of religious opposition to know the fellowship of his sufferings. It is hard to think of spiritual exhortations that are more suited to strengthen today's church. Just look at the news. Just look at the news. Your faith is under attack. You are racist, bigots, prejudiced, narrow minded, close thinking, fundamentalist believers in Jesus Christ. Your faith is under attack. And you're being called to celebrate sin. You're being called to lay aside shame and celebrate what we know is anathema to God. How does that impact your faith? You're just going to pretend that what are you going to do? I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to stand firm. You're going to press on. You're going to press on to display the glory of God in your bodies and in your actions and in your mind. That's what we're going to do. That's our only choice for what we're going to do. We're going to display a merciful spirit, a gentle spirit, a gracious spirit, a forgiving spirit. But we're going to pray that God protect the faith in our hearts And that this body of ours not be used to introduce lust and sin into the world. I mean, look at your hands. Are are they going to introduce sin and lust into the world? Are they going to introduce God's peace and holiness and righteousness into the world? What's it going to be? How then should we live in the face of sexual sin, racism, pride, and the like, and being called to join them? (coughs) How should we live when we're called to join headlong into this disaster? How should we live in the face of disbelief and ridicule for believing God? You realize how precious faith Mm. is. Faith purified seven times. Purify our faith, Lord, that we will trust you. Because hey, all we've got is what the word tells us. And what is and that and that um, that confirmation of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, that awakening that, that we are alive to Christ. How then should we live when we see the coming judgment? and want to warn people without condemning them. We see judgment is coming against sin, and we want to warn people without condemning them. We we share the gospel with them. See it's the it's let the cross be the offense if need be. But let us share the cross. Because it's, that's the way we receive God's blessing. How then should we live when we know that we are united with those we stand beside in proclaiming the gospel? Should there be someone that we are united in faith among the body? We know that we need to agree in the Lord. We need to come together and settle our differences and agree in the Lord. So that corporately we might display the glory of God and then a few other questions who is the joy and crown of your ministry unto the lord you know paul was talking about this whole church as being his joy and crown maybe there's do you have somebody that you consider your joy and crown that you're you're praying for their growth in christ and their maturity and their walk with him Many times it's your children that can be your joy and crown. Are you standing firm for the sake of the gospel? Is there a place where you know that things are a little bit shaky? Well, maybe if, what if? Is there a shaky place where you want your faith renewed and strengthened? The gain of the gospel is always at stake in the world. Our gratitude and the unity we display are important aspects of showing evidence of the work of the Spirit in our lives for other people to see, in spite of any and all opposition we face. It's interesting times we live in. Um, And, you know, we we are so blessed in our country and God has been so faithful. Let us continue to reflect His glory in the way that we live, and in our bodies, the attitudes of our minds, and the fact that we will we will stand firm to press on in Christ. Okay, Lord Jesus, and maybe maybe we could have a song later. Lord Jesus, I I thank you that that you put this verse in Scripture to stand firm. And then you followed it immediately, Father, by entreating these two women to be of one mind. And Lord, I pray that you would, you would look into our hearts and help us. <coughs> help us to see where we, we can stand firm. Stand, can, we can stand firm. Help us to see, Father, where we should be pressing on. Help us to see, Father, where falsehood and unbelief has maybe gotten a foothold within our hearts. Lord, we declare that your word is true. Your word is true. Let every man be a liar. But, Lord, your word is true. We trust you, Father. And we thank you, Lord, for a precious faith that unites us to Christ and helps us to believe. What you have said, Lord. I pray that you would open up doors of ministry that that others might become a joy and crown, as our offering unto you. Lord, I pray that that you would also help us to resolve differences that we may have with others that's preventing and weakening the display of of God's glory within our fellowship. And Lord, we ask you for more opportunity to share the love of Christ with others, that they might receive the blessings of knowing you. Lord, that they might understand that to live is Christ, to die is gain. Lord, that they might ask that they might know you in the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings. Lord, I pray more than anything that we would believe you, and that by believing, we would have real life in Jesus' name. Help us to believe, Lord. We pray this together in Jesus' name.